Amen. And you may be seated. Really good to see all of you here this morning. Tell you what, I look forward to this time of the year all year, and it is a delight just to be able to see you. And Matt, some of you are really dressed up. Some of you got some new dresses, attire too out here. You're looking good, right? Um, I just want to throw out a question though. What if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead? I mean, I want you to think about this for a minute. What if he really didn't rise from the grave? That means that actually we kind of got all dressed up, cleaned up, took your shower for the week early uh, for no real good reason. All this decoration, the beautiful music. I mean, wasn't that awesome? I mean, like, wasn't that great? But, you know, it's really all for nothing. In fact, all you should really expect from a day like this is, well, yeah, Got together with some friends or family. Uh, Maybe you're probably going to enjoy a pretty good meal somewhere along the line, and you will likely eat more candy than you should, but that will be about the extent of the day if Jesus isn't really alive. How do we know that Jesus really rose from the grave? Did he? You know, if he didn't, if he is not alive, what we're doing right now This is borderline insanity. Do you know that? This makes no sense. People driving by would think like, and rightfully so, we are unhinged from reality if Jesus isn't risen from the grave. You see, a central claim of Christianity, everything hinges on this. In fact, this is the linchpin of our faith, and that is that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, and if If God doesn't raise the dead, if Jesus isn't risen, there are some significant consequences, and I'd like you to understand them. In fact, the Bible actually spells them out, the consequences, if there is no resurrection and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to look at it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So let me just give you six consequences if there is no resurrection. The first one is, it is senseless to proclaim the need to believe in Christ. Take a look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. It's empty. It's of no value because it's not based on truth or reality. It is actually worthless. Furthermore, a Christian's faith is worthless. Look at the end of verse 14. And he says, and your faith also is in vain. There's no deliverance from you. This bit about Jesus changing your life, I want you to know if there's no resurrection, that's a myth. That doesn't happen. If you are a Christian and Jesus isn't risen from the dead, your faith is worthless. Furthermore, every supposed witness of the resurrection is a liar. Look at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. That means that everyone that says Jesus is risen, and I believe that, 
I want you to know they're liars. He didn't actually rise, if that is indeed the case. Furthermore, you need to know that sin has no solution. Look at verses 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If Jesus isn't alive, there's no hope for you. You are still in your sins. You are still overwhelmed by the power of sin. You cannot help yourself to just gravitate to immorality and drunkenness and denial of God and all sorts of wickedness and gluttony and greed and manifestations of pride. Furthermore, there's no payment for it. You'll never be released from that if Christ isn't risen from the grave. You need to understand sin has no solution if Jesus is not alive. And furthermore, look what he says in verse 18. Those who have died trusting in Christ, they've actually perished. Look what he says. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. And the word perish, it doesn't mean that you cease to be in existence, that you're just annihilated. It has the idea of eternal destruction. You have perished You need to understand that those who have died in Christ by believing in Jesus, if he in fact is not risen from the grave, they've perished. All of this nonsense about, well, when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you'll see all your loved ones and there's going to be this wonderful, great family reunion and all of you Christians who who are really waiting and hoping that Jesus is going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a bunch of nonsense. It's not going to happen if Jesus isn't alive from the dead. And furthermore, those who hope in Christ are to be pitied. Look at verse 19. He spells it out. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Some people say, well, you know, false hope is better than no hope. And I want you to know that is absolute nonsense. False hope? I tell you what, that is pathetic and tragic. People believing in something that's not true? There's probably nothing more sad than that. Friends, if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, what are you doing? We need to drop this now. We need to basically go out and live for the moment. Eat, drink, and be merry. Whatever you feel like, you make your own rules, you do your own life. If it feels good, makes sense to you in the moment, you should go for it. Because if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, friends, there's no point of meeting, gathering, or what we're talking about, like worshiping. You know when drug companies introduce a new drug, what they do is they, um, they get two groups of people. One group, they actually give the new medication to, Okay. And then the other group, they give what is called a placebo. It, is, it looks exactly like the other drug, but it has no therapeutic effect whatsoever. There's no drug. It's kind of like flour and water. It'll make absolutely no difference. But they do this because they have two test groups, and they want to see what happens. So people don't know if they think it's the real drug or you know, they don't really know, and they want to see if there is a difference. And the reason they do that 
is because the mind is very powerful. You can almost kind of convince yourself that I'm getting better by taking this medication. When in fact, it's all in your mind. It's a figment of your imagination. And so they do this because they want to see those who are actually receiving the drug, what kind of benefits can be measured and seen? What are the effects? Friends, you need to understand something. If Jesus Christ isn't risen from the dead, you're like taking a dummy drug. It's like, well, just kind of going to church and singing some songs with some nice people. It, it makes me feel better. Uh, reading some Bible stories and hearing some of that stuff taught, I feel more encouraged. It, it makes me more thankful. I like being around Christian friends. The, the music makes me feel a little bit more happy, but I want you to know that's all there is to it if Jesus isn't risen from the grave. You need to know that if Christ is not alive, you are not only wasting your time, you who call yourself Christians, you're wasting your life. Let it sink in. You are wasting your life if Jesus hasn't been resurrected. And you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting any of this. Like, whoa, I've never heard any of these things. I tell you this because we have to answer this question. It is the ultimate question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because there is a lot. Everything is righted writing on the response and the answer to that question. So let's take a look at the facts. So for starters, it is well documented uh, that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, walked this earth 2,000 years ago. Certainly it's recorded all throughout the scripture. There are four books written about his life and ministry, but there are even secular historians, uh, Roman historians that wrote of Jesus and doing powerful things and people following and words of wisdom and even doing miraculous works that can't really be explained. And this Jesus, while he was on the earth, on multiple occasions made a prediction about his life and what would happen to him. Predictions that he was actually going to be handed over to Jewish authorities, he was going to be mistreated by Gentiles, that they would scourge him, they would actually kill him through a particular form of execution called crucifying. And then then three days later, he would rise again. In fact, let me give you an example of that. Like in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 and following, and Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Who talks like that? No one but Jesus. And the disciples, when they heard this, they're like, what? Wait a second here. You got to be kidding me. Scourged? Literally having your body shredded by whips? Crucified? The Romans? And rise again like three days later? Jesus spoke these predictions. I want you to know that if he actually fulfilled them, that would absolutely prove that he's God. And it is well documented. That's exactly what happened. The Jewish leaders did apprehend Jesus. 
they did not want him as this Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah, but Jesus didn't fit their bill. He confronted their legalism. He confronted hypocrisy. He told them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want you to know that didn't sit well. And so they did eventually apprehend him, and they handed him over to the Romans, specifically to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea. The Romans actually had three different trials. They were short, but they could find nothing wrong with him. In fact, declared him to be innocent. And yet, there was such a push to actually be rid of this Jesus, this revolutionary, that Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So they, what did they do before that? They scourged him. They literally shredded him with whips, and then they took him and had him nailed to a cross. And what took place is that while he was on the cross, he uttered words like, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And after three hours of darkness that overcame the earth, he died. He declared and yelled out on the cross, it is finished. He yielded up his life. And the Romans, who were trained executioners, they did this for a living. They were experts at putting people to death and to torture them. One of the soldiers took a spear and ran it through his ribs into the to heart of Jesus. And out came blood mixed with water, a medical sign of death. They took him down from the cross. Pontius Pilate, the governor, wanted to ascertain and make sure, like, is he really dead? And there was a centurion who was overseeing all the crucifixions that day who guaranteed and said, absolutely, he's dead. With that, then Pontius Pilate released the body of Jesus to two followers. They were Jewish leaders, one by the name of Nicodemus, the other of jo- Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea had a freshly hewn out grave. No one had ever been in it before. And they actually wrapped Jesus' body in 100 pounds of linen, aloe, and myrrh, and they took him and placed him in that tomb and had this large circular rock put in front of the tomb to block it so that no one, nothing could get in. And because there was the circulation of these stories, of these statements of Jesus that he was going to come back from the dead three days later, the Romans actually put the Roman seal over that stone. A seal that meant that if you should even so much as tamper with that, on any some sort of unofficial business, the wrath of Rome is going to come upon you. And if that wasn't enough, they placed guards in front of this tomb and they had one job, to make sure that no one messes with that tomb, that the body of Jesus stays in there. And then, that's what took place. Jesus was indeed dead. It was witnessed by citizens and soldiers. So, Was Jesus, though, really resurrected? I want you to know the emphatic statement of the scriptures is, indeed, he is alive. In fact, you can see it right here in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very next verse, verse 20, it says just that. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The scriptures declare that Jesus is alive. And what talks about first fruits, it's talking about agriculture. And when you harvest a crop, the very first of the produce, the first of the grain, the Jewish people would bring as an act of worship to God, 
of devotion and of an expression of saying, and more is to come. It is the first fruits. And Jesus, as the text declares, was raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. Again, that euphemism for death. That doesn't mean that Jesus was the first one to come back from the dead because Jesus himself, on three different occasions, raised people from the dead. Remember a guy by the name of Lazarus, right? But when it talks about Jesus being the first fruits of those who are alive from the dead, that means he is the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. And he is the first of all who will believe in him, will experience this resurrection and life with him, life eternal. You see, in raising Jesus from the dead, God authenticated that Jesus indeed had satisfied his just wrath against sin by Jesus being the payment for the sin of all who would believe. So I want you to look closely at the evidence. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? The first line of evidence I'd like to present to you is the empty tomb. Nobody has uncovered the body of Jesus. Did you know that? Nobody ever has uncovered the body of Jesus. Why? Because he is simply was no longer dead and in a tomb. And the Bible actually records what this looked like because um, what took place, even Jesus' followers assumed, despite what he had said, that he was dead in a tomb. And so that he was buried on a Friday. On that, they had the Sabbath that they observed where they did not actually go to the tomb. But it is said and recorded in scriptures that women who were followers of Jesus brought myrrh and aloes, and they wanted to anoint the body. And this is what the Jews would do in order to show reverence and devotion and also to counteract the, the smell of decay, they would anoint a body of a deceased person. And so these women had gathered all their myrrh and their aloes. They wanted someone to come and, and move that stone. And so they make their way very early that first Sunday, only to discover that the stone had been moved away and Jesus' body wasn't there. There were linen wrappings, a hundred pounds worth, but no body of Jesus. And yet that's what they expected. And so they came back, and as they were doing so, Jesus appeared to them. And it's interesting that the Bible records that it's women, because if the disciples were going to concoct some sort of hoax that Jesus had rose from the grave because they'd actually just taken the body, they most certainly wouldn't talk about women going to the grave because at that time in that culture a woman's testimony wasn't as strong as a man's. And furthermore, if they were going to make up a story about some sort of resurrection, you'd have some really highly esteemed individuals going and giving some sort of testimony that Jesus is no longer there, that he's alive from the dead. Furthermore, not only do you have it happen and recorded exactly how it happened, do you know that Jesus' enemies declared that the tomb was empty and Jesus wasn't there. So, for instance, those Roman soldiers, when they finally came to, and they didn't even know what had happened, they went back to the chief priests and the scribes, and they said, whoa, that Jesus, his body, he is no longer there. And it's at that point that the chief priests and scribes came up with a story, and a story that is written down in the book of Matthew of how they were going to handle this and to explain that the body was missing. And it was simply this. 
They told the Roman guard, you can read about it in Matthew 28, 12 and 13. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Here's your money. That is your story. You stick with it. We're going to go forward with this. How many people do you believe believed them? Approximately zero. You know why? Didn't make any sense. I mean, think about it. If the Roman soldiers were asleep guarding the tomb, how would they know that it was the disciples that somehow showed up and stole the body of Jesus, right? So if they were asleep, they certainly couldn't know. So like, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. And if they were awake, do you think they were like, oh, you're the followers of Jesus? Well, sure, why don't you come on in and take the body here? We don't care. Uh Uh-uh. Think of our own soldiers. If they're on duty and they're guarding something, I can assure you they're not going to fall asleep. And we know for certainty the Roman soldier wouldn't. Do you know why? Because if they were caught sleeping or they messed up on their assignment, that led to their death. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find incidents of that actually happening to Roman soldiers. There's absolutely no way they fell asleep. And if they were awake, they would have fought to the death. And then, of course, well, you know, like, okay, so you have the Jews. Did they want Jesus back alive, his body missing? Absolutely not. They wanted him dead. They didn't want him as their Messiah. The Romans, they wanted to keep him dead, right? Hence, the tomb, the seal, uh, the Roman guards. That leaves us with the disciples. Did the disciples have motive, opportunity, and the wherewithal to pull this off? Absolutely not. Think of them. The disciples of Jesus, they were afraid for their lives. They went into hiding. Do you know why? Because they believed they likely were next. If they did this to their leader, Jesus, and they are the followers, the known followers of Jesus, they're next. Besides that, they were in deep grief. All the hopes they had pinned on Jesus, why, they saw him crucified and dead. It's all over for them. They were in deep grief, and they were fearful of their lives. Do you think that, that these guys would somehow be able to overpower Roman guards, steal the body? Do you think that they would steal the body of Jesus, the very one who told them not to steal? Do you think that they would create this massive lie about the very one who told them to always tell the truth and to not lie? Do you think that they would purport some sort of hoax and for the rest of their lives face difficulty and persecution for a story they knew not to be true? Friends, that is really beyond credibility and credulity to think that that would be the case. You see, if they declared, as they did, that Jesus was alive from the grave, if that wasn't the case, you know what? People could have easily pointed out and said, no, here he is. Let's put this myth to, to rest once and for all. Open up the tomb, bring out the decaying body of Jesus. Or, guys, you went to the wrong tomb. Here it is, and here's Jesus. Stop it. But in, ca- in fact, they couldn't do that. You know why? His tomb is empty. And history's unanimous testimony, and the only truly uh, explanation for the facts is that Jesus 
is alive from the dead. His tomb is empty. Let me give you another line of evidence. Not only do we have the empty tomb, but look at the eyewitness accounts. So let's say you hear of someone who died and came back to life. I would like you to think of this number. How many eyewitnesses would it take for you to actually believe that took place? I want you to think of your number that you like, okay, if I heard two, three, five, ten, I'd believe it. How many eyewitnesses? You got your number? Well, let me show you how many eyewitnesses we have. If you're in 1 Corinthians 15, just back up to verse 3. So it says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Okay, get ready to start counting. Ready? Verse 3. And he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, then to the twelve. And after that... He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Again, a euphemism for death. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So you have like those women we know there was at least three that went to the tomb that first Easter morning and eventually saw Jesus. He appeared to them. You've got the apostles. You've got even like a guy like Thomas, remember? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to believe until I take my finger and put it in his hand where the nail was and put my hand into that place where that spear went, okay? I, I'm not going to believe until I get to do that. And remember, Jesus appeared to him. You've got all the apostles, and then you've got over 500 others. That means at a minimum... We have 515 plus eyewitness testimonies to the resurrected Jesus. They saw him alive. So that means that if we were alive in that day, that if we were to have some sort of uh, judicial court proceedings to really determine once for all, did Jesus really rise from the dead and is he alive? We could bring in 515 plus eyewitnesses. I'm looking around, and I see a few of you lawyers. You're like, if I had 515 eyewitnesses, man, case done. There's no getting around this, right? Let me give you perspective on that. If we gave each eyewitness 15 minutes to actually just bear testimony of what they saw and their experiences with this resurrected Jesus, do you know that we would be sitting here for over five and a half hours days straight. No going home, watering your plants, checking your dog. No, you're going to sit through it one after another after another. 128 plus hours of eyewitness testimony. Friends, I doubt that if we heard that that many testimonies for that period of time, that anyone would walk away and say, well, despite of everything I've heard for the last five and a half days, I still don't believe it. Something might be wrong with you if you don't believe the facts. So let me uh, throw out a name. John F. Kennedy. November 22nd, 1963. An extreme tragedy in our country and in the world. John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. And I'd like to ask, was, was there anybody 
there. Did, was there anybody? We've got a lot of folks here today. Was, did anybody there and saw that? No? Okay. Um, do you believe that actually happened? I'm looking. Many of you are nodding your head that you believe that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And I'd like to ask you, why? Why do you believe that? Well, um, there were witnesses. There were Secret Service agents, surgeons, nurses, the doctors at Parkland Memorial Hospital. They all bore testimony. And like, well, wait, I, I saw some pictures or I saw a little bit of like film or something like that. Like, well, you know, you can do a lot with film and you can make scenes up that are actually not true, you know, right? We actually have eyewitnesses. In fact, we actually believe the eyewitnesses. There are all these eyewitnesses bearing testimony telling us indeed this happened, and you know what? We believe them. And we should believe them. We should believe they're telling the truth because they're the ones that were closest to the facts, right? This whole idea that, well, you know, when it comes to Jesus, I need some secular examples. I need some people that don't believe in the resurrection to prove to me that the resurrection actually took place. That doesn't actually make a lot of sense to say, well, if you believe, you lack credibility. In fact, we know this. The closer you are to the facts, the more that you should believe. Just like we would believe the testimonies of those who actually saw John F. Kennedy dead, we believe their testimonies, so we should believe the testimonies of Jesus being alive. And friends, you believe what the facts reveal. That's what a Christian is. A Christian isn't on some sort of fantasy trip hoping something to be, well, I just hope he came alive, and I'm just going to take it all by faith. I want you to know that at the core, Christians put their faith in the facts. They believe what is true, and they believe what the facts reveal. You know, people will die for their religious beliefs if they believe them to be true. In fact, we see this played out on a pretty regular basis. You study world history, we've seen a lot of that. If someone believes that this, this is really true, they're willing to die for it. But no one will die for their religious beliefs if they know them to be false, right? Yeah, we'll go along, and I'm supposed to say this and do this, but like, wait a second, okay, wait. Wait, I'm going to lose my job if I believe this? Wait, you're going to take me away from my family? You're going to start hurting me? Wait, I lose my life? Oh, okay, wait a second. I don't really believe that because I, I don't think it's actually true. Sure, what do you want me to say? Because I know that that's not true. But on the other hand, if you really believe, you're willing to die. All of the apostles, with one exception, the apostle John, who was actually sent into exile by the Romans for his faith in Jesus, all of them died brutal deaths. Do you know why? Because they could not and they would not deny the reality that Jesus had been resurrected from the grave, that he was alive. They staked their whole life on it. Do you know why? Because they knew it to be true. When we look closely at the facts and the evidence, did Jesus really rise from the dead? You look at the empty tomb? You look at the eyewitness accounts? Let me give you a third. The emergence of the church. The church are those who are called